The following program brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by the members of CFCI and their guests should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal, and any tax advice on the show is not intended to be used by any persons for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax. Penalties that may be imposed on such persons and each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. The representatives of CFCI and their guests are not providing legal or tax advice, and nothing should be construed as a solicitation to offer or buy securities. Now enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Man, it's a, a beautiful week, sunny. Uh, I'm actually here on a Wednesday to record for Thursday night. I am traveling on Thursday. I'll be back on Monday, President's Day, as the banks and financial systems are closed. We typically stay open on Monday just to get a few things done. But you know what? When you become a little bit bigger firm like like mine, uh, now the the uh, the chief no longer rules on those decisions. So we are going to be closed on Monday. Dan and I were laughing, my brother who handles our operations, you know, we, we, I think we're pretty generous with paid time off at our office, but by the time you factor in like the 12 or 15 paid holidays off as well, heck, I think our people get about a month and a half or two months off if they add it all up together, but it is what it is. Happy to do it. And I'm going to go somewhere fun. I'll tell you more about it next week. uh, Once I tell you where I'm going, I'm actually, I'll tell you now. And then you can tell me if you've ever been there before. Cat Island, Bahamas. Yep, you heard it right. Cat Island, Bahamas. So there's like 50 Bohemian islands, I think. And I went, been to Bimini, been to Long Island, and now Cat Island. So everyone's been in Nassau if you've been to the Bahamas, right? Paradise Island and all that. But I've been wanting to get off into these remote areas and this place, I guess, is pretty darn remote. And there's only maybe a couple places to stay. These are not hotels. These are like little, I don't even know what, what cottages maybe you call them. Uh, outdoor restrooms, outdoor showers. So I'm, I, you guys, if you've listened to me long enough, you know I kind of like to do some adventurous things. But bringing my wife along, and um, it's quite an adventure to get there, number one. Uh, and then once you get there, what do you do? So it'll be fun, and I'll, I'm sure it'll be fun. It's, it's what you make it. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I promised Jolene Dixon, right, last week, if you were listening, the Social Security guru from our local office uh, to be on. Well, she's on next week. Sorry about that. So we're going to have her on next week, and you're going to really enjoy the show. Her and I put together some really great talking points, not just the basics, the everyday stuff on when you can apply, the penalties for for taking your application, your money early, benefits for, for delaying, but widows, uh, people that are older on Social Security could be with younger kids, uh, divorcees. I had a situation come up just this week where someone who's going to retire at the end of the month came to my taxes and retirement workshop and uh, said, I need to come in. Well, came in. She'd been married for 25 years, divorced for the last 10, and she's full retirement age. And I'm like, yeah, did you know you could file on uh, as a as an ex-spouse and doesn't affect the him he doesn't have to know about it like no so we applied she's getting six months back pay 
and she's going to let her delay to 70. So all these little techniques and tips and tactics from Social Security guru Jolene Dixon, you're going to have to wait until next week. All right, just a few quick things I'll talk about. Brought to you by Lance Like at the Like Claw Group. Give yourself and your family the peace of mind that comes with proper estate planning. Call my friend Lance at the Like Claw Group, 812-323-8300. Had dinner with Candy Bland Auctions, both he, Dirk and Nikki and Alex, uh, I think last Friday night. And I keep on them. We, we need number one, you need to change up your commercials. They're good, but you know they need freshened up. And two, we have to do the behind the scenes at Kenny Bland Auctions. So we've been plotting some concepts there. Have Jim Emman Jr. Jr. help me put that together, and maybe we'll make it happen. But they are your full service auction service. They offer the pre-planning the sale of your estate or real estate. Visit them online at KennyBlandAuctions.com. All right, what happened? Well. A report on the 13th. Oh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day. Belated, if you're listening to this on the 15th or on the Saturday following that. We're going to, we're going to enjoy a nice dinner at Malibu here on Wednesday night, which you are hearing this on Thursday, so you don't know that we're going to be there. But, yep, we're going to head out there. We're going to have a great time, and we'll take off in the morning. So, inflation dipped in January, CPI reported. Now, here's the thing. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have these Fed rate cuts, and the market's going crazy. And then yesterday or a couple of days ago, we had some hot numbers come out, hotter than expected. And guess what? The market sold off. So this seems to be a very Fed-driven, interest rate-sensitive market, and I would not expect that to change anytime soon. But annual inflation in the United States cooled last month, still remained a little high in the latest signs that the pandemic-fueled price surge is only gradually and fitfully coming under control. Tuesday's report from the Labor Department showed that consumer prices rose 0.3% from December to January, up from 0.2% increase the previous month. Compared with a year ago, prices are up 3.1%. Now, it's quite not to their 2% target, right? And I'm conv- pretty convinced this Fed, they've been pre- fairly transparent that they are going to do what they said they're going to do. Now, are they going to wait until they get down to two before they start cutting rates? Probably not. That might be too late. Then you have to start thinking about deflation, uh, which that's a whole other discussion. I know it's a weird thing to talk about when you're talking about uh, where we are today. But we are uh, we've been moving in the right direction. So this whole idea of the Fed used to buy half of the bonds issued, right? That's the way we were in quantitative easing. When a big issuance came out, the Fed bought half of them. So, boom, all of a sudden they're out of the market. So half of the bonds that they used to buy are now available for sale. That caused interest rates to go up, right? Makes common sense. Then they increase the overnight rate between banks. That's what the Fed funds rate is. And collectively push rates really high, or not really high, but high, much higher than they were. And the idea is that would slow the economy down. And it slowed it down, but it hasn't stopped it most of the time. They stop it, they reverse it, they recede it. It's a recession, and that will slow it down. And then we get back to business again. All right, what else is going on? Not a big surprise that credit card debt is at an all-time high in America. It rose to $1.13 trillion at the end of last year. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York reported that on Tuesday. Card balances increased by about $50 billion, or 4.6% in the fourth quarter. You know, a lot of that is just the raise the rise in interest rates. So if you look at, you know, if your balance gets this gets to this point, credit cards companies can do whatever they want. So if you had an introductory offer at nine point nine percent or zero or whatever, look at it. Heck, you might be paying twenty nine, thirty some percent. 
So the credit card delinquencies, that's the amount of time cardholders fall behind in making payments, that increased to, let's see, 6.4% from 4%. Uh, in the fourth quarter. So that's 90 days or more late. Yeah, when you get 90 days or more late, you're kind of in trouble. Credit card debt continued to contribute to the rise in total household debt, the amount owed by all members of a household, which rose to $17.5 trillion. That's an increase of $212 billion in the same period. That is not good. And then uh, why has credit card debt increased? Duh. More credit card owners are carrying debt over from month to month. That's what the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau said. Nearly one-tenth of credit card users find themselves in persistent debt where they are charged more in interest and fees each year than they actually pay towards the principal. About 49% of cardholders were carrying debt over into November of 2023. Of course, had a great Christmas season. They charged more. That's up from 39% in 2021 and 47% in July of 2023. Major credit card companies are setting interest rates for far higher than major indices are, like the Fed's fund rate or anything else that you might buy. All right, let's take a quick break. All right, so you know that I have been addicted to demographic tracking, predictable spending, what's next. Well, China's baby bust, it's kind of hard to reverse. I've talked about it a few weeks ago, and I'll talk about it again. I'll be right back at Your Money with David Hayes. Man, I wish I had the resources like major TV and radio shows do to go back in history and hear what I was saying about aging populations, one-baby policies in China, and what I thought the impact could be years down the road. Of course, I don't, and I am a, I was a Dent, Harry Dent, demographer, disciple, and learned and became aware of these trends more than 25 years ago. Predictable ages and stages of life. Like, what do we spend money on at what age? From salty snacks to fast food to hair products for women. Everything in America, every industrialized country. So here we go. In the Wall Street Journal this week, they talk about China's baby bus and how hard it is to reverse. Miscalculations 40 years ago leading to a a lasting one-child mindset. So here we go. I'll read a couple excerpts for you. China's baby bus is happening faster than many expected, raising fears of a demographic collapse. And coping with the fallout may may now be complicated by a miscalculation made more than 40 years ago. A rapid shift underway today wasn't projected by the architects of the China's one-child policy, one of the biggest social experiments in history instituted back in the 80s. At that time, governments around the world feared that overpopulation would hold back economic growth. A Moscow-trained missile scientist led the push for China's policy based on tables of calculations that applied mathematical models used to calculate rocket trajectories to population growth. You know what? It's hard to measure human behavior. But four decades later, China is aging much earlier in its development than other major economies did. The shift to fewer births and more elderly citizens threatened to hold back economic growth in a generation that grew up without siblings 
Young women are increasingly reluctant to have kids, and there are fewer of them every single year. Beijing is at a loss to change the mindset brought by the policy. Births in China fell more than a half a million last year, according to recent government data, accelerating the population drop that started in 2022. So, going on, I was looking at this. Back then, China wasn't the only country worried about overpopulation at the time. The rapid rise in the global population in the 60s and 70s prompted fears that humanity would reproduce faster than food production could rise, an idea basically argued nearly two centuries earlier by economists by another economist, Chinese officials were increasingly reviving scientific research after the Cultural Revolution. While social scientists had been persecuted by, by the Red Guards, <laughs> others doing work related to military had been partially shielded. So think about this. I mean, they used to, like, really get after it. Then they, like, started saying, okay, if you pay some money, you can have more than one kid. And it backfired because, like, if you think about it, I grew up with, you know, brothers and sisters. So when I was ready to have kids, I wanted a family similar like I grew up with. I thought this will be cool. I want three and four kids. So that didn't happen. I have one. Well, it'd be interesting to see what my son's mindset will be. Now, it may not be his mindset. It may be the mindset of whoever he marries and who he has children with and what her family dynamics were. But I think it's true, right? You grow up, you you grow up with siblings, you kind of want your kid to have siblings. If you grow up an only child, then maybe you want to be an only child, or maybe you don't. Maybe you want to have a bunch of kids. I have friends that are only onlys that have big families, and maybe that's what they always wanted. I don't know, but I can find it very interesting to go back and see and look at and study what we were talking about, what I was talking about 25 years ago, learning it from the Dent Demographic School that I attended like five times because every time I went, I got something new. Had Harry on the show a few times. Rodney, his buddy that did all the research, also on the show a few times. And it's very compelling because that was the fear that China would choke off their population. It wouldn't recover. And they would have this massive aging population. Same in, same in Japan. Now, Japan didn't intentionally choke it off. They just got older. Their problem is they don't allow immigration. They allow it, but no one really wants to go there as an immigrant. So they want to come to the United States. Uh, Europe's aging. Uh, a lot of countries are aging, and that, that's an issue globally. And I had that question come up today from someone, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All major concerns, because as you get older, you become less pro productive, and you're not adding as much to the GDP. Things slow down, and it's kind of hard to recover from that. And, and even in, in America, you know, if it wasn't for the millennials, a big big group of people, and we didn't have positive immigration to kind of fill in the younger gaps, we'd have the issue as well. Because as you get older, what, what happens? You get, into your, you get to my age, like 54, 55, your kids start to move out of the house. So my son's 23, just moved out. He's still on the payroll. And many of you listening, you're like, my kids are still on the payroll in like 40. Hopefully that's not the case with me, but, but it, it's reality. But nonetheless, stick with me on this. We get into our 50s, late 50s. Kids are off the payroll. We're still working. We're making the most money we've ever made in our lives. And what are we doing? We are saving like freaks. We want to have a nest egg like no other because we don't want to have to worry about running out of money. We don't want to have to worry about how we're going to pay for long-term care. We don't want to have to worry about the things that everyone else worries about, whether I can go out to eat tonight or go on a vacation 
next week or next month or go on a cruise or whatever it might be. You want to have the resources. Well, how do you get there? You have to be responsible for that and you have to save. So think about it. Maybe it's a two person working household and they're making great money. They're paying down their debts. They're saving. Well, that's not expansive, right? That's not something that's going to expand your economy when consumer spending accounts for almost 70% of GDP. By the way, government spending is now at the highest proportion to, to GDP as that has ever been. Big surprise there. And that slows things down. And then you get into retirement and you say, okay, I'm going to start taking money out, right? And then you get older, you, you, you're good in retirement. Right? You travel a bunch and all of a sudden you slow down a little bit and then you basically get to the point where you don't do much at all. And you've heard me say that we go through three phases of, of retirement. And usually it's about a 10-year, 10-year, 10-year. Not always, but sometimes, most of the time, it's close to that. And that's our go-go years, our slow-go years, and our no-go years. And our spending somewhat tracks that. And that's why I don't get too freaked out about projecting that at age 92, I'm going to be spending as much inflation-adjusted as I did at 67. That doesn't make sense. And thankfully, I have not only the experience and the, the you know, the perspective to tell people, you know what? Yeah, if I inflate the urine spending out at 2.2% for the next 25 or 30 years, yeah, it doesn't look great. But the reality of it is that's not the way life goes. And they have to trust me and believe me. And it has worked out. So anyway, I think it's just fascinating to look at where populations are, what they're trying to do. I mean, I remember back in 1998, the, uh, the Russians had the day of the family where everyone had one, they gave everyone the day off in the entire country to go home and procreate and make more babies. That's how desperate they were to have a growing population. So every country around the globe is facing a challenge one way or another, either, either like India is a very young country, but then you get off into Europe, very old, uh, China, Japan, same way. And, and thankfully here in the United States, because of the fact that people still want to come here. And I mean, granted, I'm not going to get into the arguments about border and all that stuff because I mean, we want people to come here who want to be productive, want to pay taxes, and want to, you know, seek the American dream. That's what we want. And I think the majority of people, that's what they're after. So if we can embrace that and figure out some way to regulate it, do whatever, and that's not my job. I, if, I, if, if I was elected to do that, I would spend more time doing that. I'm not a person that sits around and gripes about it. I think things have a way of working themselves out, and they usually do. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, the S&P 500, I'm, not, I'm talking about, I'm just going to say it, tops 5,000 for the first time ever. I'm going to give you a little commentary from last week. Then I've got a couple myths about all-time highs and pullbacks and things like that that I think you might find interesting. I'll be right back at Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. You're reminding me with David Hayes. Jolene Dixon from the Social Security Office will be on with me next week. It's going to be a great show. It's one of those you put in the can and you replay when you're gone because it's not that time sensitive. So that's one of those good ones like that. It's kind of like a David McKnight show. We have him on. We talk about, you know, where we are today, where we're likely to go, and what you need to do to get out of the crosshairs of higher taxes. That show can always be replayed. Sometimes Ed Slot, the information he provides, or Mary Beth Franklin. Those are great shows to put in the can. So when you're out of town or don't have a substitute, we can make it happen. It is nice to have Jim back because uh, he's comfortable in the seat, and we can call in from a variety of places like I have already this year. 
All right, let's talk a little bit about last week, and then I'm going to give you a little uh, tidbit on some myths and facts when it comes to markets around their all-time high. So let's go back. The market experienced good gains last week, right? Concluding the trading week on a really positive note. Now, what was that thanks to? Corporate reports, favorable inflation news. That pushed the S&P to achieve that all-time record of 5,000. Now, we go back to the end of the end of 2021, the beginning of 2022. It took two years to get back to where we were. So if you're sitting here listening, well, it didn't take me two years. Well, hopefully you were putting money away and buying during that time in your 401ks and IRAs. Now, if you're a retired person, you probably said, yeah, you're right. It took me two years to get back to even. But here we are. The start of last week's trading stocks faced a lot of pressure due to the comments from Fed Chairman Powell which, guess what, that's going to continue to happen, signaling the Fed had no plans to cut interest rates right away. Consequently, the yield on the two-year note, two-year Treasury note, uh, which highly is influenced by monetary policy, it increased to its highest level in two months. By the end of trading on Monday, stocks had kind of regained a significant portion of those losses. Influence in the market rally were these positive corporate earnings reports, which has been solid, this trend continued throughout the week. That contributed to the overall market momentum. That's the thing. The market's a very momentum kind of thing, driven thing. It's like, it's like a basketball game. It kind of goes in these streaks. And then you fall back, and then you come back from 18 down, and you win on the road, stuff like that. Then you go up north and get throttled. So, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing correlated, correlated there, right, to the markets and to Indiana basketball. But nonetheless, here we go. By Friday, 67% of the companies on, in the S&P 500 – had released their fourth quarter results. And 77, that's a pretty impressive number, they had exceeded expectations. So that was uh, welcome with enthusiasm on Friday. A report indicating December's inflation number was lower than anticipated, as I talked about earlier. Positive news kind of just revitalized the buying activity. That resulted in the S&P surpassing 5,000 for the very first time. Now, the strength of this economy has come into the spotlight again. I mean, the, the, the world's looking at it like, wow, look at these guys go. There was an analyst uh, uh, kind of interviews conducted by the Wall Street Journal recently proposed that the economy's resilience could be attributed, and I, this is what I've been saying, at least in part, to the productivity driven by the technology sector. Gosh, if you go back and rewind shows from uh, several months ago, I'm like, you know, there's been some layoffs, but really technology, productivity, efficiencies, AI, all that kind of stuff will, will tend to, you know, drive product, drive earnings when you get rid of people. That's your highest expense. So the question is, what might rein in that productivity? Well, one possible influence could be the increase in oil prices. We saw that last week. Shipping companies have been imposing surcharges for several months to mitigate the recent conflict and kind of changing their path to get things to where they need to go. And... These changes may contribute to uh, global inflation this year, potentially dampening the enthusiasm. So there's a lot going on, folks, out there. But here we are. Everyone thinks, okay, I'm at an all-time high. There's got to be a pullback. Got to be a pullback. Has to be a pullback, right? Market's been down. It's got to go up. Got to go up. Got to go up. Well, the answer is no to both. So let me give you the first one here. All-time highs. This is a myth. All-time highs are rare and mean a pullback is right around the corner. Well, there's more, they're actually more common than you think. Since 1988, the year I graduated Edgewood High School, the S&P 500 has averaged 20 new all-time highs per year and nearly 
85% of the time. One year later, the market was even higher. So let me say that again. Nearly 85% of the time. One year later, after it hit an all-time high, the market was even higher. So the flood of headlines about new highs can make our make our, our feelings feel like we've missed out on the opportunity, but the numbers prove that high prices alone shouldn't keep you from investing. Now, Rod and I talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. There's so many great new solutions out there that can offer you. This Doug and I talked about this. Downside protection of your portfolio, still giving you the, the ability to make some good money on the upside. So don't just do something stupid. And I will say this. You have a hard time doing these things inside of a 401k. They just aren't available. So a lot, a lot of times that's my case for moving it out of your 401k into an IRA. A lot of other good reasons too. But now your, your options open up. The world's available to you. So there are things to mitigate those feelings of angst, even though I just gave you the facts. All right. Another myth. Investors should, investors should buy low and sell high. <laughs> okay, here's the fact. It's not unusual for markets to hover around highs. As a matter of fact, the S&P has spent nearly half of the time within 5% of an all-time high. So if you're waiting around to buy low to invest, you may miss out on the opportunity for more growth ahead. It, it's, it's the time to retire, buy low and sell high. That's a fun thing to say, right? Fifth horse, sixth race, buy low, sell high. You know what, that's the tip of the day. But it is time to retire that mentality of buy low, sell high, in that mantra and replace it with a simple one for long-term investors. Just keep buying, right? I remember as a kid getting in this business, 24 years old, the saying is they would say, Hey, when's the best time to invest when you have money, right? Period. So this now almost 30 years later, we're bringing that horse back around the ring again. It's time to retire the buy low, sell high mantra and replace it with one simple thing for long-term investors. Just keep buying. Uh, or, hey, it's state wrestling time, right? The state wrestling finals. We have some locals up there. It's great. I'm excited for them. There's a saying in wrestling, keep wrestling all the way to the end. Keep buying all the way to the end. All right, let's take a quick break. What are we going to talk about when we come back? Let's see. I have, oh, this is something kind of interesting, and we've been talking about it, how distressed real estate is luring buyers in. And what does that really mean for the economy, if anything, because I know it gets talked about a lot, and I'm going to come back and talk about that. More so, what does it mean for the banks, the regional banks in particular? You know, should you be concerned? All that and more, it's Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. So we've been hearing this for a long time, right? All of these commercial office spaces in these big cities, they're all dark. And, you know, what are they going to do whenever the debt rolls? Well, they're becoming very distressed and it's giving an opportunity for these buyers to come in. With many owners unable to extend loans, investors are starting to pounce. Now, let me walk you through why this and how this works. It isn't just the rates go up. A bank is not going to loan you as a commercial buyer 100% of the value of your place. 80% um, maybe, 70% more common, and that's where the problem lies. All this real estate, there's two components to it. The actual real estate, you know, where it is, what is it, and then the cash flow that it creates. 
So you have an income-based approach to valuing real estate. If I have an empty building, which I did for a while, downtown Bloomington that I owned, and versus a full one that has a 10-year lease on it, which one's more valuable? It's the one with the 10-year lease. And they'll take that money and, and project it and say, okay, they back it in, give it a cap rate. Okay, it's worth this. But if it's empty and I'm still paying taxes, I'm still paying insurance, I still have to maintain it, it's a negative cash flow. It's going to be worth a lot less. So what's happening is these loans roll. Most, most commercial loans have a 5- or 10-year fixed period of time, and then they roll and have to be reset. So if they roll and reset... And at that point, the bank comes back and said, hey, we need a new appraisal, and your building's not worth $10 million anymore. It's worth $5 million, but you owe six. You need to chuck in about, oh, let's call it $2.5 bucks, and we'll call it a day, and we'll give you the loan again at this, oh, by the way, higher rate that's double what you were paying. Maybe. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I would say they may probably wouldn't because they're going to be like, well, how are you going to pay debt when the building's empty? So that's what's happening. I mean, these uh, it's happening. They're walking away from these deals. Uh, real estate is going down. But the folks that knew this was going to come have been stocking up cash, especially private equity firms all around. And they're going to come in and they're going to buy them up and eventually turn these things around. And that's the way cycles work. So is that an issue for you? Probably not, unless you're investing and worried about some of the regional banks that aren't necessarily capitalized. I mean, you heard about them in California. That happens so quickly. We've had a few others around where it's happened really quickly, where all of a sudden, you know, they're on the ropes. Um, you know, these loans are going bad. It could be a big deal for them. Now, should you be concerned? Things can happen fast. Yes. Look around the country. Who's affected? Borrowers? Yeah, because if a bank goes under, FDIC is capped out at 250 Now, there's a lot of maneuvers to get that way, way up for a family. Depositors, well, I'm sorry, borrowers and depositors, two different things. Borrowers, maybe not so much because if a bank goes under, a new bank comes in and you're just going to keep paying the, old, the new bank. Depositors, yes, you have the FDIC limits. Bondholders, yes. Stockholders, yes. Participating banks, yes. What do I mean by participating banks? Well, sometimes a regional bank makes really big loans. And based on their capital size, they're only allowed to make a certain size loan. So if they hit their cap or at least what they're comfortable with it doesn't have to be their cap then they'll participate it to another bank so hey this is a 40 million dollar loan we'll we want 30 of it we're going to take the other 10 and give you five and you five and so they have these relationships and that's called participating banks so it affects a bunch of stuff so it could not only affect the current the bank that actually originated the loan it could affect the banks that are participating in the loans it could affect the stockholders big time of the bank it could affect the bondholders of the bank, especially if they go all the way under. So, yeah, it's a concern. We've been talking about it for quite some time. I think it's something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be worried about the regional banks, but just understand anything can happen. So just like anything else, if you're a depositor, if you're a bondholder, a stockholder um, of a bank, don't put too many of your eggs in one basket. It's okay if you have one, one investment go bad. Because you have hopefully another 20 or 30 of them that's doing good. And that'll make up for the rest of them. That's why I don't like to overweight heavily into a particular stock or company or anything. I diversify amongst many different companies. Although it may be in a similar sector. Like you might like technology. So you decide to load up with technology. But I don't own all of one company. I own 
maybe 10 different companies or 20 different companies. Same thing with energy companies or anything, right? You want to diversify. So I just want you to know to be aware of what's happening, who does it affect, and how you can mitigate your risk. All right, I'm going to take a break, come back. So next week, Jolene Dixon is on, Social Security expert. But as you know, or you see, Social Security is not going to do it all for everyone in retirement. And unfortunately, a lot of people out there are living on only Social Security. Hopefully, if you're listening to this show, that's not the case, that you have become educated and aware of the things you need to do to have a great retirement. But there are people around that are doing that. So for some people that are in retirement, is it time to rekindle, rekindle, rethink the saver's credit? What is that, Hayes? I'll be back. I'll talk about it. It's your money with David Hayes. Cat Island, Bahamas, baby. That's where I'm headed. So on Thursday, as you're listening to the show, I will be in the Caribbean just for a couple of days. Uh, be back Monday, and uh, we'll we'll let you know how it goes. But I, I like going places. You know, I love going to Canada where your cell phones don't work. I loved going to the Amazon with my dad back in 19 in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I like doing this kind of stuff. I, you know, I don't want to be gone forever <laughs> because one, I, I, I like work. I like to be at the office. I love being at the office, love being home. Uh, but I want to be gone long enough where it makes a difference. All right. So next week, Jolene Dixon, she's going to be on and we're going to be talking about for most people, social security makes up about 30 to 35% of their income. Sometimes it's a little bit more than that. Sometimes it's all of it, right? So you're saying, okay, what do I do? Well, you have to go back to work. Well, I'm back to work. Well, retirement. here's the thing. This is something a lot of retired people don't think about. Imagine imagine a financial person like me saying, you need a savings stash that's six times your yearly paycheck by the age of 50, which is kind of the rule of thumb, to help ensure you have a smooth future retirement. But instead, you show up at the retirement gate with pockets emptier than our mailbox on a Sunday afternoon. Although I think they might deliver mail on Sundays now. The truth is a surprising number of mature Americans have no money and they're not taking advantage of this two-decade-old retirement savings contribution credit called the Savers Credit. Most of the time you think of it for young people that aren't making a lot of money and they get a credit because they're saving money. So here's the way this thing works. Um, we'll put a little, eh, I'm not going to dig into all this kind of stuff. So basically, if you have an income that's under a certain limit and you could be retired working wherever, on Social Security, and you put money away, if you contribute like two grand, then they'll give you a tax credit of 50%. So in some cases, it's like, okay, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's something that gets overlooked a lot. I, I, I need the money. Why would I save it? Well, because if you put two grand away, I'll give you $1,000 free. That's good money, and there's no strings attached to it. So that's something that if you are or know someone who's working and struggling because all they have is Social Security and they're still, you know, having to go work at wherever. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to just say one place is better than another, but there's a lot of places that will hire, hire people that are retired. Encourage them to save into something, either the 401k they're at work, an IRA, because if they put two grand away, it's $1,000 free. That's like, that's more than Christmas money for them. So anyway, it's just something that I thought was interesting and especially as Social Security is on the docket for next week with Jolene, she will tell you how many Americans live on just Social Security. It's sad. So just a little tidbit to uh, help some people out. 
All right, when we come back, I've just had some things come up this week that I hadn't planned on talking about, but I just thought were interesting. And uh, actually, let me talk about them now. So one thing was, here we are now in uh, February. <clears throat> and you know I've been on this battle with the Department of Revenue with Indiana on why do you expect me to pay the estimated tax that I'm going to owe throughout the year as opposed to the quarter in which it was recognized. Well, I, I pulled out a letter that one of my clients received <clears throat> back in December of 22. And it says here, according to Indiana Code, anyone who has income and did not have enough taxes withheld and or did not pay enough estimated tax throughout the year is subject to a penalty for the underpayment of estimated tax. Now, if you have it withheld, you're fine. But if you paid an estimated payment, you're not. And this is what happened. We did a big Roth conversion in, in February of uh, 22, and we paid all the taxes that were owed at that moment through estimated tax payments. He receives a this this letter. I have it, his name on it with a with a bill, a penalty. Now I forget how much the penalty was. It's probably in here somewhere. Um, what is the penalty? Da, 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 da. I'm trying to find it here. I don't see it right off the top of my head. Um, what was it? Anyway, I, it was it wasn't it wasn't huge, but the purpose of it was that it was still there. Eh, it's here somewhere. Anyway, so nothing's changed yet. I have been asking and asking and asking. It's like I think they hope I go away because I ask. Oh yeah, yeah. I, you know what? We haven't heard anything. Let me go look into that again. And then weeks go by and never hear. And I'm like, hey, like, oh yeah, yeah. Let me look into that. We haven't heard anything yet. So eventually, I'll probably give up because I don't have the time to keep pounding it. And we may just have to follow the rules. So here I am, right? We're saying, okay, if I think I'm going to do a Roth conversion, if I think I'm going to have uh, phantom gains on my capital gains on mutual funds, you're just going to have to maybe overpay. And then when you get your refund, I guess apply it to the next year or something like that. So anyway, just something to think about. I thought I should mention it since here we are. The other thing that came up, I think there was a couple more. One was... Um, a younger person about my age who was thinking about, you know, really digging into an early retirement and they were wanting to know, like, how do I access my retirement uh, uh, funds uh, without a penalty? Well, he's done a great job of creating three buckets of money, taxable money, Roth tax-free money, and also tax-deferred money. And it really, truly was about a third, a third, a third. I hadn't seen anyone my age with that kind of forethought. And um, I'm not trying to take credit for it, but he's been a longtime listener of the show and, and follower and attends workshops. And, um, and he's drank the Kool-Aid, and he, they're here now here he is. So he's like, yeah, but I, I don't have enough here in my, non, my taxable account to carry me through until I'm eligible to start really digging into this stuff. I'm like, well, don't forget about the Roth. And I reminded him, hey, listen to my podcast on when is the best time to take money out of the Roth. And the answer is when it makes the most sense. Well, he says, well, but I'm not 59 and a half. You don't have to be. Contributions can be accessed at any time at any age. Conversions. Every conversion has a five-year wait period before you can take it out under the age of 59 and a half. It's only the gains that have to be in there five years or and until you're 59 and a half to be tax-free. So when you think about it, the conversions that he did five, six, seven years ago, those are ready and ripe for the picking if he wants them. All the contributions that he's made are ripe and ready for the picking. All penalty-free, income tax-free. It's only the gains that you have to worry about. So those are little things, you know, that people 
you know, don't really pay attention to or think about until it's time to think about it. Let me see if I had a, I had one more in here. I can't seem to find it. My my notes are a little scattered, but that's okay. All right, I'm going to take a break. I'll come back and wrap this thing up at Your Money with David Hayes. Well, I hope you enjoyed the program, Flying Solo, today. I'll tell you what happened was, because I thought Jolene was on, and I wasn't told she wasn't on until about two days before this the show aired, um, I'm like, you know what? I've got enough stuff here I'd really like to talk about. I'm just going to put this kind of hodgepodge, catch-all show together, and hopefully you got something out of it. But I promise next week she will be in studio and talking everything social security hey one thing i was looking at the new tax uh, brackets for 2024 you know we just kind of take for granted that you know the, with inflation um the tax brackets have widened out the income has gone up but at this point i mean i was looking at married filing joint tax this is taxable income not not uh, gross income taxables this is gross income minus your deductions you can go all the way up to eight three hundred eighty-three thousand nine hundred and be taxed at only twenty-four percent, and that's after you went through your deductions and you went to your ten percent leg that took you all the way to twenty-three thousand two hundred, then your twelve percent leg that took you all the way to ninety-four thousand three hundred, then your two hundred one percent leg, two hundred one thousand dollar leg to twenty-two percent, and then all the way to almost four hundred thousand dollars at twenty-four percent. What an incredible opportunity to convert massive amount of money in at these low tax rates now. I mean, I have never seen this before. Never will we see it again. And guys, this is it's the year. Did you know what year it is? Twenty twenty four. I think I just said it. And do you know what next year is? Twenty twenty five. Do you remember what year the tax code expires and goes back to where it was at least? Yes, twenty twenty six. Unless something changes, and it might. You better do something about it. So I'm going to try to get, I've got a really good pot. I can't, I, I'm going to quit promising you this. I have it on my schedule today. It's, it's, it's Valentine's Day to record a podcast. I ain't going to do it. I'm going to leave the office around 4.30, go home, get my wife. We're headed to Malibu for dinner. But I do have a podcast that I promised to get at some point called, is it, is it worth moving to a tax-free state in retirement? Like Florida. I'm using Florida as an example. And I've got all kinds of data and examples. And, you know, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit because just like everything in my world, when when you say, should I do this? My answer is, well, it depends. And that's unfortunately the answer, the big time answer to the question. But a lot of things to think about. And we're going to get that out there sooner than later. So I hope everyone had a great Valentine's Day. If you didn't have a Valentine, uh, that's okay. It saved you some money. Um, I made a trip to the jewelry store and picked up a little something, something for my wife. So I think she'll enjoy that. And just a nice little card. We've been married 30 years. Not that you shouldn't give up on Valentine's Day. In fact, maybe this is the time you should make it bigger. But, um, you know, it's different, right, when you've been married 30 years versus a new relationship. But nonetheless, enjoy it. Hope everyone has a great one, and we'll be back in the hot seat next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. The preceding program was brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities.